Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Heroes 101 Radio. This is Spectre from the New York Initiative. And we, as usual, are your one-stop shop for positivity and optimism in a somewhat miserable world these days. But uh, So we're, we're looking, I say positivity and optimism, um, we're looking at a pretty touchy subject this week, which has been a, a massive source of debate. And, um, you know, I may not be the most qualified person to talk about this subject, so I've got some very cool guests that I'm going to bring on the air later. But... Um, as with pretty much everything in my life, um, I look at this subject through uh, the lens of comic books because, to me, you know, comic books are pretty are pretty awesome in themselves. They're also probably the greatest works of uh, American fiction that just happen to contain characters like Batman and Captain America and so on. Um, so there, there was a, a very famous comic. You've probably seen a movie recently based on it uh, back in 2006. And uh, one of the main characters who I know and love um, has, has a very famous quote in it that says, when the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the world, no, you move. And, uh, you know, I was privileged enough this weekend to be at a, a comic book convention um, where one of the, the legends of Marvel Comics, of any comics, Stan Lee, was, was talking. And, and this was the first time I'd ever seen Stan Lee. Uh, amazing, amazing guy. 93 years old and still has more energy than I'll ever have. Um, so Stan Lee's there on stage, and he's talking to Joe Simmons, who's a colorist. Uh, and these two guys have been working together for 66 years. And Joe Simmons has a speech about how much he's loved working with Stan Lee and what a privilege it's been and so on and so forth. And he ends the speech with the words, make America great again. And Stan Lee turns around to Joe Simmons, his partner for 66 years, and says, that's enough from you, Mr. Trump. <laughs> and, uh, and there ensues a pretty interesting debate between people in their 90s about the pros and cons of Trump versus Hillary. And uh, you know what? That, that's not what we want to get into today. We're not here to debate the election, to debate who should have won and who should have voted for what. Um, Sadly, whatever you wanted to happen, that's history. So what we are here to talk about is the culture that, that sprung up from the election campaign itself and the results of the election and, and some, of the, uh, some of the aftermath of that, uh, of that culture, be it a culture of divisiveness, of anger, of hatred, and, and of fear. And, and what we really want to look at tonight is how that affects at-risk communities. Um, now, still on the topic of, of comic book guests, um, I, I was also privileged to bump into over the weekend uh, Robin Lord Taylor, who plays uh, the Penguin on Gotham. Um, if you haven't seen Gotham, it's it's freaking awesome. It's a uh, it's a great retelling of the uh, of, of the young Batman stories. Now, Robin Lord Taylor, and, and I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but there was a apparently a moment. I haven't even seen it yet. Apparently, a moment in a recent episode of of Gotham, which was. Um, included one character in, in some kind of a homosexual setting with another character. And this sparked huge admiration from the gay community and some consternation, as you'd expect, from people who are a bit less forward-thinking. And somebody asked Robin Lord Taylor what he thought about that. So I just wanted to play you something that he said. I just want to address the people, and I don't know if there's anyone out here who had a similar reaction, like people who say, you know, I have no problem, this, this is really what upsets me, there are people who reach out to me and they say, I have no problem with him being gay or queer or anything, I just have a problem with you guys changing or altering the canon, like changing a canon character, and I have to say that that's a bunch of horse shit. <laughs> You can't, you can't, you can't say that to me if you also didn't have the same amount of, of uh, consternation about Batman 89 where the Joker killed Batman's parents. 
that is a total departure from the canon characters. You can't tell me unless you were just as upset that in our own show, we have Batman and Catwoman growing up together, running around Gotham City growing up together. If you weren't as equally upset about that, which is changing canon characters. But you come to me and you say to me that, you know, I'm okay with you being queer, but if you're going, but just, I, I'm upset that you're changing a canon character. What you're saying to me is I am homophobic and I am afraid of gay people and queer people. That's exactly what you're saying. For everyone to give it, to check themselves, to check their privileges, to check their, their, uh, their prejudices, I would say. So. So that, that was Robin Lord Taylor saying that uh, you can't veil hatred. That, that, that's the point of this show is uh, whatever we call it, whatever's happening at the moment, there's, there's hatred out there. You can call it what you want and you can make any excuse for it that you want, but it's, it's hatred that's out there. Um, and, and, you know, veiling it, pretending that it's something else isn't going to work. It's, it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, so uh, the, the other point that I wanted to make around Robin Lord Taylor is he and, – and he was – this was obviously – very, very important timing for him. He, he's a gay man himself and, and has struggled with bullying. He was brought up in, in a rural town in Idaho where this was before the days of Will and Grace, before pop culture accepted, accepted being homosexual. And, and he was horribly bullied to the point where he was enormously depressed, was feeling suicidal and had no support network around him at all. And he... Uh, he was asked by uh, by some of the audience, and there were a lot of the audience who were asking him questions like this, but one of them asked him, what, what does it feel like to be such an icon of the gay community these days and to be such a, a spokesperson and a, an advocate for, for gay rights? And he, he literally broke down in tears and said, I had none of this support network when I was your age, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and I was in the worst of times in the darkest of places. And if I can save one teenager who's feeling suicidal now, if I can turn that around and save that person's life just, just with some words and some acting and, and whatever, um, then it was worth it. It was worth my whole career for that. And to me, that uh, ep epitomizes what we're here to talk about. It may not necessarily be um, that there's physical violence happening today, although I'm sure there is, uh, but, but uh, emotional violence can be just as damaging. There are people who are already going through the hardest period of their lives, adjusting to something pretty uh, momentous in their lives. And, uh, and, and I think we as a society have a, a, a duty to protect those people. So, um, <laughs> you know what, what I read today as well, which is an interesting parallel. I read uh, this quote from 1922, and it says... Uh, Several reliable, well-informed sources confirm the idea that Hitler's anti-Semitism was not so genuine or violent as it sounded, and that he was merely using anti-Semitic propaganda as a bait to catch masses of followers and keep them aroused, enthusiastic, and in line for the time when his organization is perfected and sufficiently powerful to be employed effectively for political purposes. And, uh, you know, Hitler himself was quoted as saying, you can't expect the masses to understand or appreciate your finer real aims. You must feed the masses with cruder morsels and ideas like anti-Semitism. It would be politically all wrong to tell them the truth about where you're really leading them. And, uh, you know what, I, I'm not trying to, uh, to portray Trump as Hitler. That, again, as I say, the election's done. We are where we are. What I'm trying to say is, uh, abuse isn't trivial. Abuse isn't something that you can brush under the rug. And uh, that, that's the kind of thing we're here to talk about. It can hide something, um, something pretty damaging to an individual, pretty damaging to an entire culture. Um, so as I say, I'm not qualified to talk on this subject. I'm white, I'm straight, I'm middle class. Um, uh, sure, I'm an immigrant and I'm a father. Um, that's nothing compared to the boat that some people are in. So I have some special guests here tonight who are going to be helping me cover off this subject. Um, so I'm going to introduce first uh, a, a good friend of mine who's been on the show previously when we were talking about uh, sex trafficking and, and, and work that people can do to, to try to prevent that. Uh, I'd like to introduce Lisa Hofflick. Good evening, Lisa. Hi there, Simon. Thanks so much for having me on the show. No, thank you. So, um, you know, maybe you could uh, you could give our, our listeners a little background on on who you are and, and particularly how you were involved in the uh, in the recent election. Well, um, I was a volunteer um, in um, on the Hillary Clinton um, side of the election, um, but prior to that, you know, I've been involved in. Uh, 
uh, nonprofit advocacy, um, particularly for social justice issues for the past decade. And now I work in government in the New York State Assembly. And I'm not here to speak on behalf of my, empl- uh, in my on behalf of my employers, but this pure, purely on my uh, own experiences as I also um, an Asian woman who happens to be married to a Jewish man who happens to have a transgender child. So if anything, um, we know um, we know what it feels to be marginalized. Um, um, and uh, one of the things that uh, that really scares me about right now is uh, is is this uptick in um, what can only be deemed as uh, hate crimes. So I'm really, really thankful that you're doing a show about this. Absolutely. Thank, yeah, thanks for joining us. And also on the line we have uh, Molly as well. So uh, good evening, Molly. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, really, really good. Thank you. So, uh, so Molly, maybe you could uh, tell the uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, who you are and uh, and where you are right now. Um, well, I am a freshman in college. I just turned 18 four days before the election. I was very excited to be able to vote in my first presidential election. It did not go my way. I originally voted for Bernie Sanders in the primaries and then Hillary Clinton in the general, um, and was. I spent the entire night of the election just crying with all of my friends. Right. That seems to be uh, something I've heard from way too many people as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So maybe uh, maybe we could start off. I, I thought, you know, what I'm hearing more and more, and, and it shocks me a little, is is there really a problem? You know, is this just liberal crybabies who didn't win the election, it didn't go their way, and, you know, there's just a lot of people making noise, um, you know, because there are sour grapes out there, and and is it just attention seeking? And and I think <laughs> clearly to well, uh, you know, maybe maybe not clearly, but uh, I would certainly say there's there's a lot of evidence to the point to point to the fact that there is a problem. Um, Lisa, you and I were talking earlier that you know the FBI have, have released a, a study showing that over the last year since the election campaign started, there's been a six percent rise in hate crimes. Um, particularly against the Muslim community, and that that uh, that six percent rise has taken a further uptick over the last week. Um, but even outside of that, statistically, within the um, Southern Poverty Law Center, who are a very well-regarded and, and impartial source of statistics, um, they've they've shown that there's been a big uptick in incidents of vandalism, threats, intimidation, uh, racist abuse um, that have been spurred by the rhetoric around the election. And, uh, and one of the uh, spokespeople for the Southern Poverty Law Center quoted, the white supremacists out there are celebrating his victory and many are feeling their oats. Um, their stats show that in the last week there have been over 200 complaints, which is far more than, than any other time that they've seen in the past. So quite a significant increase in, uh, in terms of, of, uh, of abuse there. Um, it, within the, the University of Pennsylvania, uh, there was a, a horrific story over the last week as well where a, a, a separate entity outside of the university targeted black freshmen in the university and, and sent them just torrents of racist abuse and uh, linked them into groups where they'd be abused by other people. And, and you know, it, it, it's the kind of thing that uh, that, that just seems to be uh, on the rise. Um, you know, Trump publicly uh, condemned that and told people to stop it. Um, you know, Maya Angelou wrote something pretty telling, which, uh, which she said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And, and I think, you know, Trump, for better or worse, has, has said a lot of things during the election that uh, have, have spurred this kind of uh, racial and, and uh, intolerance on. And to be able to, to say stop it now, you know, that, that train's already rolling too fast for that to happen. Um, so, so what, what are you guys, Lisa and Molly? I mean, what, what has been your experience um, in, in the real world in terms of how this is playing out? Well, you know, I mean, Simon, you know, going back to something that you that you, that you started this um, thread off with, when you said, you know, you, you mentioned that that uh, um, that there are some groups who are calling the people who are protesting or um, or are genuinely upset about about the election crybabies um, because of uh, over political views. I don't think it's just political views. I mean, there's there, there's some real fear out there, and it's and it's not a difference of political views. It's really a, a, a difference of values at this point. I know that from from uh, my my personal standpoint and those of uh, my friends that I've spoken to, who are genuinely upset about this. You know, we look at it as as this. 
that even if you say that you are not racist, that you are not xenophobic, that you are not sexist, you still voted for someone who is racist and xenophobic and sexist. So the so you had an impact in this. And even if your intent was not the same thing, the fact that there that that this impact now outweighs the intent is 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 is, is, is tremendous. You know, and also you look at the fact that in the hierarchy of values that you use to make your decisions, the fact that sexism, that hatred, that racism, that all of these horrible things that Trump said that did not um, um, dissuade you from voting for him, that they sit so low on the totem pole, that's what really, really affects people. And people are afraid out there, especially these marginalized communities who who didn't feel so safe to begin with. They're, now now um, the supporters... Um, who um, who are looking at Trump as this uh, as this banner um, for uh, for all these um, ugly isms? They're emboldened and they are taking. Uh, they feel that that now they are in the right because their candidate won. I know we don't want to make this political, but the fact that there is real fear out there, the fact that they're that people are really afraid that their parent, that their families are going to be ripped apart by deportation or that their reproductive rights will be chipped away. You know, it's the same also for health care. Even let's take to 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 the fear that 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 20 million um, plus Americans are um, might lose their health insurance. I mean that's that's people are genuinely afraid and so to call someone a crybaby over these things is just really um uh not seeing the bigger picture if we want if we have to look at the fact that 60 million plus Americans were that upset with the way that things are going that they were angry and they were afraid for themselves that they voted for um the, the president elect then you then the, that same population has to be aware that people are going to be very afraid and very angry on the opposite side too because of their because of fear for their livelihood they have fear that their human rights will be violated also. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I think my, my biggest issue comes from lack of empathy between, the, you know, the people who are dismissing. You know, there's, there's a lot of talk out there and, and, uh, about, uh, you know, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Let's, you know, let's just move on. It is what it is. Let's just carry on with life. And to me... That, that kind of an attitude can only come from someone who has never been a member of one of those at-risk communities. As you say, when, you know, if you're worried about if you're going to be allowed to stay in the country, if, you're going to, if, you're, if your marriage vows are going to be, are going to be uh, honored, if, if you, as you say, your reproductive rights are under question, those aren't things that you can just say, hey, it's going to be fine, let's just, let's just not worry about it. No, it's, you know, it, it comes from, um, I, uh, you know, I want to say it comes from a place of privilege, and how wonderful that you live in that place where you don't have to worry about these things happening. And uh, but unfortunately, there are millions of people living in this country who do. Yeah, and I, I think I can certainly understand people living in a privileged position. And as I say, I'm a I'm a white middle class straight guy. You know, that's uh, that's where I'm coming from. Um, However, to have such a lack of empathy for other human beings that you dismiss their uh, their their fears so so easily uh, that that concerns me a lot. Um, and and Molly, what what's been your your thoughts and experiences on this this journey so far? Um, well, as um, a bisexual youth, I've felt a lot of fear. Um, and at first, I really just wanted to think that, okay, everyone who voted for Trump is secretly a huge racist, like secretly a xenophobe. They probably hate all Mexicans, they hate all Muslims. But looking at it now, that's obviously not what it is. I mean, the people who voted for Trump are the people who feel like they've been ignored by the people living in the city. They're the rural voters who have a voice as much as we do. And it's kind of opened my eyes. But it still makes me sad because I realizing that these people aren't all racist and that they aren't all bad people has helped a little bit, but it hasn't changed the fact that their silence has hurt them so much that they're willing to vote for someone with these kind of ideals. And it's really I'm a political science major, I hope to go into politics one day, and it just 
when I found out the results of the election, I almost considered switching majors, switching career paths. I mean, if I become a business major, maybe I can be the president. Um, but I just, I've, I've tried to take a path of hope, but this time I'm still grieving, and I know a lot of people my age are in the same boat as I am. Absolutely. And as you say, you know, somebody sent me a, a meme earlier on. Yeah, a bunch of people have been sending me stuff, evidence, and, and just anecdotal things as we've been preparing for this show. And um, one of these was a meme that uh, it, it, it has, and you, you've probably seen this already. It says on the left, uh, this is Michelle. She voted for Trump. Her friend voted for Clinton. They're both adults. They're still friends. Uh, be like Michelle and her friend. And it has it crossed out. And then on the right, it says, this is Michelle. She's a nice person and cares about her friend Alice. Alice is a lesbian and engaged to be married to her partner, Candace. Michelle voted for an administration whose goal is to take Alice's freedom to marry away. Michelle has to live with this decision if that comes to fruition. Alice feels betrayed and confused as to how her lifelong friend could vote to take her rights away. Michelle is still a nice person, but there's a big wedge in their friendship now. Alice's friend Gina is very upset on Alice's behalf because in this particular case, agree to disagree does not apply. That's for should we order appetizers or cats rule and dogs drool, not for racism, homophobia, misogyny, sexual abuse, and rampant civil rights violations. And to, to me, you know, that, that's kind of where we are. There are, um, there, are, there are certainly people where I respect their opinion, um, but there are also people for whom that, that opinion is just plain black and white wrong to me and uh, as you say there, there's like a, a feeling of grieving based on, on what's happened that uh, is, is hard to overcome well you know I'm I'm really struggling with that actually I mean I, I'm, I'm in the midst of uh, I want to say an almost a social existential crisis right now where and and I and I don't want to I don't want to overblow it but I am actually really really upset with my friends who 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 even though they say they they are not racist and I know that they're not racist or or homophobic or sexist but they still put that they still thought a person who was would be a better leader and the reason why I am so hurt and and so upset about this is because it's personal to me as a parent of a transgender child I all I have always worried about her going out and being out at night and walking down the street. You know, that's that's just one of the, the fears that comes along with it. But now when I see that people are out there and people are just so emboldened and they want and and they think that they can go ahead and do anything and say anything, I'm even more upset. You know, the the night the, the, she came home from college the night of the election, and the next morning I was holding her, and she was crying in my arms, and I had to soothe her. And she said, Mommy, she's a 20-year-old girl, she said, Mommy, people are already so mean to me, now they're even going to be even meaner. So what, about, what am I supposed to say as a parent to that, and how, am I, and how can I protect her from that? And the fact that I know people who, put, who allowed this to happen through their vote by, 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 by basically saying, okay, I I don't I don't place as much emphasis on this as I do on other things, right? And I'm going to go out and say it, and perhaps it had to do a little bit or a lot with financial reasons. How am I supposed to look at them that way again? Yes, I, it's that meme of Alice and her friend. Because guess what? I can't imagine being able to have that same relationship with people again. And I don't and um that's something that I really really struggle with and that's a very very personal thing where I um I wish that I could rise above it, but I think that again it goes back down to values. That if you if your values um are that different from mine, then exactly how can we um be in a relationship again? I definitely understand that. Um, I live in um, my my university has this program called Living and Learning, where you can live in specified dorms with people who are in similar programs as you. And I choose to live in the LGBT collaborative dorm. So everyone I'm living with, the night of the election, we were all just we were all together. There are trans people who live here. There are gay people who live here. There are people who are, there are allies who live here too. And we're all very very upset. And I completely agree with that. There were a lot of my Facebook friends who 
I had to unfriend, and it wasn't all of them. It wasn't every Trump supporter. It was the ones who were very vocal about it and the ones who laughed when I posted political statuses, the ones who said, all aboard the Trump train and, like, made a joke of it when, for them, maybe this political cycle was a joke. Maybe some of the things Trump said were almost funny to them because there was no way it would affect them, but I just knew that when they laughed at that, they didn't understand that this is life-threatening for people. I genuinely do think that with Trump and almost more importantly Pence, people will, like, there's a possibility that this presidential election will lead to the deaths of some people, and I don't think that that's happened many times before, definitely not in my lifetime. Because with the election of Bush, I obviously don't remember it. I know people were like, how did this guy win? He's kind of, they didn't think he was the smartest, but Trump is a completely different kind of circumstance that I don't, I don't, I I can't compare it to anything I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, I think that, that, that what this election did is it it just splayed open the wounds of the nation. I mean, you know, before, before, before the the division may have been a lot of um you know been based on economics and and people feeling um that uh that um that their um that their traditional values did not um you know quote unquote traditional values did not mesh with the more liberal progressive values um but now the division is really um it, it's so raw and where you're right, Molly, someone is going to get hurt. People are getting hurt um, through this. If not just physically, then definitely emotionally. I mean, what is that? What is this hatred that 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 that's bubbling up, that's that, and exploding, going to do um, via words to that child in the lunchroom, that Latino child in the lunchroom, whose 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 classmates are chanting "Build that wall." I mean, what is that going to do to their psyche? And exactly. And what I what I feel as a parent is what is that going to do to this next generation you know the, the the next generation that is being bullied and the the next generation that thinks it's okay to say these things how are we going to go past this i would love nothing more than to rise above and to help build that bridge but right now it's just so raw how do we go and hold hands again that's what i want to know yeah seeing the stories of all the children, there's, there's so many stories I've seen on Facebook of little kids in kindergarten, first, second grade, who are already attacking their Muslim and um, immigrant um, classmates. And it's so upsetting to see that this political cycle isn't just about adult politics anymore. It's about the culture of the nation, which is something that kind of snuck up on me. Because I thought, I mean, most of my life where I've been able to remember it has been under Obama's administration. And I've just seen our country move forward and forward. I was with my girlfriend the day that gay marriage was legalized. And I just, we woke up and it was the first thing I saw and we both burst into tears. We really thought that this nation was moving forward. And then seeing this election just makes me feel like we've honestly pushed our country 50 years back. Even if this isn't able to accomplish all we've done, even if he was lying about a ton of stuff, which is almost as bad because we won't, that means we elected a president who lied about everything he promised to do. But even if Trump isn't successful, this shows so much hatred that we've been ignoring or we thought wasn't there. You know, I, you know I'll, I'll put in also that, that I was a child of the 70s and the 80s where we came over um, as, as, as a, uh, refugees from Vietnam and we settled in the Midwest. And uh, we were the only Asian family in that area for 10 years. And the the you know my parents they suffered a lot of discrimination, just heartbreaking discrimination. And me as a child, I saw some of this. They protected us from a lot of it. But even at school, I was bullied and um, uh, called names and whatnot. And it really does something to your psyche as a child when you have to hear these things every single day. And for I would say those 10 years. Um, my parents and I, we didn't necessarily feel safe, not until we moved um, to to a more um, inclusive community. And then, all of, then when um, let's say the political correctness um, 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 attitude um, settled in in the 90s and in the early 2000s and even even the last decade, things seemed okay. 
where people could seem to get together. At least that's what I saw. And obviously that wasn't the case because this is because because people were just stamping things down and now everything's exploding, everything's being ripped open. It's it's, it's as if it's as if this Band-Aid was ripped off and all the ugly pus is oozing out. And this is really – and so, again, how do we go forward from here? Um, you, know, uh, you know, I look at, I look at these, 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 um, these safety pins that people are wearing, and I think that is great. That's fantastic that you are setting yourself up as an ally and saying that you are a safe place or a person who is being marginalized or, or being, um, uh, being attacked to go and run to, but we have to do something more than just the safety pin. Yeah, well, you know what? That, that was a perfect segue, actually. For uh, I actually have another guest calling in now, who uh, is a, a dear friend, a friend of mine, um, who who runs the uh, the initiative that I'm part of, our, our Washington branch based in Seattle. So I'm just going to bring on to join in the uh, the fun here with us, uh, my good friend uh, Crystal Temper Marks. Good evening, my dear. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Simon. How are you? Doing very well, thanks. So you're on with uh, Lisa, Molly, myself, and uh, and a whole bunch of listeners and, and good chat room people. Definitely. And Lisa and Molly, it's great to unofficially meet you. I've been listening, and um, I really appreciate you sharing your stories. It's really impactful. Um, I'm sorry in advance. I have a 15-month-old toddler who is running around crazy, um, so I'll try to uh, stay away from <laughs> the screens, but... Um, in regards to all of the safety pin stuff, um, something that I've been hearing a lot of has been it's either what what's the point of this? There, you know, if you're not going to actually step up and do anything, or wear the safety pin but carry through with actual action. And there was a really good article that was shared around. Um, and I will try to find the link for you, Simon, to include it with the show. But it was all about here's what you can do and here's what you should be prepared for. Things like stepping in and interrupting um, racism as you see it or Islamophobia as you see it or harassment of a lesbian or gay individual as you see it. And a lot of that is more than just stamping in and saying, hey, that's wrong. It's actually being prepared to stay with someone and be a physical presence as well as um, potentially breaking up a fight that happened twice this week on Capitol Hill here in Seattle where people had to do that exact thing. And one of them was wearing a safety pin and someone did identify them as someone that they could talk to. And luckily that person was capable of stepping in and breaking up a fight. Wow. So, so, you know, from what you've just said, wearing a safety pin is no trivial fashion accessory that, uh, marks you as a liberal it's it's a you know a badger responsibility i would guess i think so for the most part um i do think that there is a big movement among liberal america that people will wear the safety pin because they want to i think they have good intentions maybe they want to appear like they're in solidarity with all the struggles that people of color are going through other minorities and targeted groups but unless they're actually prepared to do something and step out and actually do something, then it kind of is a bit of a fashion statement. And I don't know if it was mentioned earlier. I tuned in just a little bit ago. Um, You know, there's someone on Etsy selling safety pin jewelry as part of a awareness campaign. I like the idea of the safety pin a lot, but um, I agree with you that for some people, I think it does become a liberal fashion statement to say, don't worry, I know I'm white, I know I'm straight, but I'm one of the good ones. And I feel like if you're willing to be the person who will step in and break up a fight and be the person to change it, then that's wonderful. But if you're the person who's wearing it to just say, to kind of let go of some of your white guilt or your straight guilt or your cis guilt or whatever kind of guilt you're feeling, then I don't think that's the right reason to be wearing it. And I know that there will definitely be some people who are just wearing it out of guilt. But you know what, though? But here's the thing. So, I mean, I, I, I agree with what, what you both say completely, that there has to be something more than, more behind that safety pin. But if they are willing it at, in, in order to, um, to, to um, alleviate that guilt that they feel, that's more than what a lot of other people are doing. So at least that's one step in the right direction. Don't you agree? I definitely agree with you. That's very fair. But I just think that 
if you're going to want to, if you're going to identify as one of the good guys, then it has to be more than ideological. I think so too, especially if you're one of the, I think it is a step in the right direction that someone is wanting to actually be more visibly present and say, you know, I, I actually am against this type of, of racist behavior, homophobic behavior. But if someone in that marginalized community sees someone wearing a safety pin and that person is just wearing it to alleviate guilt and hasn't done the homework of how do I actually protect people? How do I step in? They could be very ill-prepared. It's kind of like, not to bring up another hot topic issue, but it's like someone wearing a gun and thinking, well, now I'm, I'm fine, I'm safe, and not actually knowing how to use it, not being trained. It's kind of the same way to me. It's you're, you're saying I'm here and I'm present, but you're not actually helpful in the case of an actual situation. Right, right. And you know what, I would I would also, we talked a lot on the last show about clicktivism, about, uh, you know, doing 22 push-ups in 22 days to, to somehow raise awareness of veterans and the PTSD that they go through. And that, you know, it, it's all very well-intentioned. Everyone has good intentions, and that's a great thing. Um, I've I've seen so many people who change their Facebook profile picture to one with a safety pin in, and that seems to be the extent of their, uh, their effort. And again... Thank you for caring. That's great. Um, doing is, is far more powerful than caring. <laughs> and, uh, we, we all prove ourselves by our actions. Definitely. There's you know, the saying, well done is better than well said. And I would much rather see someone even try and maybe not succeed all the way, but try and, and fail a little bit than to say that they're doing something and have ac- nothing happen. I mean, there's actual lives on the line. There are people being harassed. I feel very lucky being a you know, a white woman who is bisexual but in a heterosexual marriage. So I feel relatively safe compared to a lot of my friends and, and family and Muslim family members. But I would much rather see a friend support the safety pin and do something or not even support it at all. Right. You know, I, I read something today which really, really struck me. Um, it, it's something that was posted on Tumblr, I think, yesterday and has gone completely viral. Um, and and the, this post says, uh, of course it's not enough. It's not supposed to be enough. It's like a friendship bracelet. Wearing a matching bracelet with someone isn't enough to make them feel like you're their best friend. But it's a signal that, yes, you accept that designation and they can rely on you for support and companionship in the future. The fact that the bracelet itself is not a midnight pint of Ben and Jerry's after a breakup doesn't mean you shouldn't wear it. The safety pin is a friendship bracelet for marginalized people. It means, yes, you can call on me to be your friend and help you. It isn't the help. It's a signifier of help. And as for all those folks saying, well, I won't trust you until I see you do a thing, okay, I don't really blame you, and being cautious is sensible. But as a physically disabled autistic queer, I can say that if I was at the grocery store or the pub and I saw a whole lot of safety pins on people's lapels, I'd feel warm, I'd feel less alone. So even though I can't physically do anything more than more for someone in trouble than witness, film, make a phone call, or yell, I'm going to wear it because I want you to feel less alone. Hmm. Well, you know that's an you know that's and and that's an admirable sentiment also. I mean, it's, it's, I mean that's 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 like someone painting their white picket fence in a rainbow of colors um, in order to to show the community that they are an ally to the LGBT community. You know, um, um, so or we 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 want we want to see people who are allies. We you know, in the Black Lives Matter movement, we you know we, we want to see we want to see um, um, n- non-black allies um, standing there w- with us too. Um, so it's so it's 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 the same type of thing. You have to it's it's an outward showing of support too. Yes, could some people be, be not quite getting the whole message? Absolutely, but it's I'm you know I'm going to go back to my 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 previous point. It's better than nothing. Right. I think at that point, it's really, that's what it boils down to. If someone who is being marginalized or targeted says, we'd rather see you do this than nothing, then that's where I'm going to get my, my cue from. And I will, that's my goal, I guess. That's kind of what I would encourage anyone else, um, any white ally or anyone who feels like they're especially safe right now to do is just to take the cues from the people that need it the most. I definitely agree with that. Um, 
I know a couple of my friends, this is similar to the safety pin, but friends um, from overseas, from a pre-college program, or even white guys I went to high school with, who I assumed were probably Trump supporters, reached out to me over Facebook and said, hey, I'm thinking of you at this time. I'm, I'm on your side, and we're not all making fun of you. We're not all laughing. And I think the safety pin is a good way, not for people who have been making the Hillary Post since 2015, or the ones who are, like, very active politically, but for the people who are more quiet and keep their Facebook politics free, to wear them and say, I'm on your side, even though you might not know it. I think they might be, unless you're at a protest or a rally or something, sometimes they may be a little redundant. But for people who you can't tell, I think they've been very helpful in that way. Yep, completely agree, completely agree. Um yeah, and, and I think, you know, there, there are different levels of helping. I mean, certainly, you know, within the initiative, we have groups who are out there in dangerous areas, you know, wearing protective gear, doing, you know, trying to do other things like homeless outreach, like use needle patrols, like flyering for criminals or for missing persons or, or what have you. And, you know, we, we're in a, a pretty unique position to be able to see things and, and physically help. And most of the people in those groups are trained in some way, whether it's military, police, or, or just martial arts or whatever it is to to help in a, in a physical way and you know certainly we're not trying to um, imply that people should become vigilantes and be ninja batman hiding in the shadows waiting to jump out at every racist that they suspect but at the same time there, you know there are and, and I, I think it kind of comes back to that uh, original quote that I said about planting yourself like a tree by the river of truth and saying no you move because there are times when it's just right against wrong and, uh, simple as that um, so I, I have another guest here. Uh, I'm, actually, I'm going to just check his uh, his number. Um, if you're a guest waiting to talk to us, if you hit uh, the number one on your phone, you should be uh, should be flagged up, and, and we can we can add you into the show. But um, yeah, I wanted to kind of come back. I, I work with um, a colleague and a very good friend of mine who's a, a gay man, married for for very many years, and uh, lives in New York, and had always thought himself fairly. Um, <clears throat> fairly safe in that environment, being in a in a pretty conservative, uh, pre- sorry, a pretty uh, cosmopolitan city. Um, who who said to me today when he heard about this show, um, he said sometimes I feel like screaming. He said I I feel like I'm so alone that I'm surrounded by people who have just gone back to normal as if nothing's changed, and yet the vice president is a guy who thinks that he can put electrodes on my head and and physically change me from being gay to being straight and change who I am. And, and nobody seems to get that. And he said to me, uh, Trump legitimized hate. And he said, uh, I, I would never look at another person and say, that person's religion is wrong. I'm going to try to change them so that they don't follow that religion anymore. He said, I leave people to their own devices, no matter what they believe and what they choose to do. And why on earth would anyone feel like they could uh, have the right to influence the way that I live my life and the person that I am today? Um, he said, you know, whatever you call it, it, whatever nonsense you cloak this in, Hate is still hate, and it's, it's the same deal at the end of the day. No, I agree with that completely. I mean, and you just have to, you know, you just have to look at, uh, at you know, who Trump put in his leadership positions right now. I mean, for, with, you know, Steve Bannon, who is the, uh, who is the former uh, editor in chief of Breitbart News. I mean, he's he is the alt right poster boy at this point. I mean, and basically by him putting. Steve Bannon in such a close top aide privilege position um, just shows you exactly what um, what issues are going to rise to the top. Um, you know, you know, I, I I feel for your friend. You know, one of the one of the things that I've been fighting for years is is uh, is a, a gay conversion therapy for uh, for minors. That's something that's been going on in New York State. It's been a battle in New York State. Where one house of the New York State Legislature will has been passed has been passing it for I believe at least the last eight years at least, and one house just will not touch it because they are ruled by 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 one particular party, and it's just really really ridiculous that people think that they can go and try to change a person like this, much less a child. That's tantamount to child abuse, and the fact that right now we've got something going on in the country where that is 
some is that something that the vice president elect is has 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 championed is astounding to me. We can't be doing this anymore. We how is it that we are how is it that we think that people have to be one way that they have to fit into a cookie cutter mold when we are such a wonderful rainbow of people. Well, not only did he support conversion therapy, he took money away from HIV and AIDS um, education to put into conversion therapy, which terrifies me on another level. I think it's so sad that our vice president-elect thinks that a dead gay child is better than a live one, or I guess he considers them a dead straight child. And even more so with his stances against Planned Parenthood, um, and abortion rights, things like that. It's it is better a a a dead woman than a live you know than a live woman who had an abortion. There are things like that that not only does he support and is now Trump surrounding himself with more and more people who support those exact things. I'm I'm almost more scared of the people um, out there who voted for these individuals that are now on the street and actively thinking, as they have been before, but now it's okay. It's okay to feel this way. It's okay to even more loudly proclaim these things. And I am faced with not only, you know, comforting my my friends and family who are legitimately terrified, but also explaining this to my four children of what's going on and why all of a sudden their black and brown classmates are leaving class and two of them have already left the country. I think it's also so upsetting how we now know that so many people do not care about what fact is. Like something can be shared on Facebook and it's seen as much of a fact as like something that's been scientifically proven. Trump himself has shared misinformation like crazy and refused to apologize for it. And I just think it's so, it's scary because if we ever had a president, like if if Barack Obama had slipped up once and given us one false statistic, the media would have crucified him. But Trump shares a fake, a completely illegitimate fake article every other day and faces no repercussions for it. And that's obviously not obviously, but it seems like it's very clearly a race issue. So how do we move yeah. forward? So how do we move forward? How do we move forward? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, th- I think there are tactical fixes. I think that actually for me the, the, safety pin, um, the safety pin initiative is very, very important. Both, I think both the, the sort of um, aesthetic of solidarity, you know, the, the Facebook and the memes and so on, I mean, that, that, that serves a minor purpose, but I think the, uh, the physical solidarity of being out there, being, uh, you know, a visible ally to people who need it is very, very important. But, uh, you know, and I know, Lisa, you, you've been obviously much more active in uh, political circles than, than me, and I, I know you were at a, a Planned Parenthood event tonight. Is there, is there any hope in, uh, in Trump's America for us to, to kind of salvage and, and turn the tide on any of these, uh, these crazy initiatives that we were just talking about? You know, we have to stand together. You know, um, I was at a, I was at a fantastic Planned Parenthood um, a rally and event tonight, where there were about 150 people in the audience, um, which is a, which is a great crowd um, on a Monday night, or I'm sorry, Tuesday night. And last night, I had uh, some friends um, um, uh, through the National Organization for Women, and they had a rally last night that got 1,100 women in the city. Um, to get together and try to do a call to action. And I think that what we really need to do right now is um, as we listen to people and um, and they come to us and say, what can I do? Tell me what to do. I want to do something. We have to be very, very careful about how we approach that and how we answer their questions of what do I do. Because because there are a lot there are I believe different levels of involvement. You've got the people who just want to get their hands dirty and they want to do something really really right you know right away, and there are other people who want to do something at the fifty thousand foot level through policy or something else. And the and I think that if we go ahead and give people tasks to do right now, they will go and they will go and accomplish it and they will 
wipe their hands and say, all right, I did it. Now they're going to go walk away. One of the things that we really need to do in, if we want to um, push back on some of these initiatives that we find that are det- going to be detrimental is that we need to build our ranks. We need to build coalitions. We need to organize and get lots and lots of people involved through the passion of a movement. We need to build a movement so that when something really, really strong, really important does come up, a huge task does come up, that we have the ranks in order to accomplish it. Otherwise, we lose them with these with these initial knee-jerk reactions. What can I do? You know, I I see a lot of I see a lot of people going around and, and writing these change, you know, signing these change.org petitions, which is fantastic. That's great. But in this grand scheme of things, though, I have to say, these politicians that they're trying to appeal to aren't necessarily going to to listen to it. Um, there is this fantastic there was this fantastic um, um, on Twitter uh, um, discussion um, that I just saw that had that um, involved uh, a former congressional staffer where she gave some tips on how to speak to lawmakers about how calling and emails, um, that they really, really work in-person meetings at district offices. They work, talk to the staffers and lobby the staffers. That really works. And what we really need to do is if we want to make a difference and we we need to be very, very tactical about this, we need to set up plans to do this, um, the protests that we see on the street are fantastic and great because they allow us to all amplify their, our voices. But once the voices die down, a few from that movement, a few from that group are going to rise to the top to be, become the leaders. So that's how I see protests as being immensely um, beneficial. But how do, we, how do we make sure that our life, our livelihood, our fears are let's say, mitigated through um, political action and in Trump's America, as you say, we have to build a movement. We have to get people in it really we have to we have to harness all of this anger and all of this energy that people are feeling into something productive in the long run, not in the short run. Absolutely. You know, I, I was um I was down in Union Square in Manhattan today, um and, and there's a whole wall of the station where People have just papered it in uh, post-it notes, and they've written most of them very, very optimistic and positive um, messages. You know, unity for all. You know, make America one again. And 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 you know, the the overriding sense there was one of people who sure they're they're angry and they're afraid and they're they're hurt by what's happened, but they're looking for some positive way to channel that energy. And, you know, there were a few fuck you Trump messages as well, but <laughs> that is what it is. I think you've got to take that too. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think you're absolutely right. There is that energy there. There's so many people who want things to change for the better and, and won't stand for things to change for the worse that uh, solidarity is where it is. Right. Uh, we, we had two – sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, that's not that's not saying that the people who want to do something right now that they shouldn't be doing something. There if they if they feel if they feel very very strongly about a particular um 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 a segment um that they think is being marginalized, then they should go out and try to find volunteer opportunities to get to try to do something. Because that again, it's 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 better than someone who doesn't want to do anything, right? It's better than nothing. Uh, but they have to go out and volunteer. That's how they can do something. That's how they can make a difference. But then, again, we have to find a way to cre- to to um, keep this movement alive. How do we do that? By continually talking about this, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, there, there are two comments in the chat room, one from Impact, who's as, as good a guy as I've met, who's moving to New York soon, which is very cool for, for New York, um, who says uh, it's because there are people out there who not only don't want to change but actively fear it, and they believe that anything different is not only dangerous but disastrous to themselves and society, and that's a damn tra- tragedy in so many ways. Um, and and another, another person in the chat room, Sector 3, says, uh, I think it's a tragedy that people were so desperate to shake things up, they voted for the anti-politician even against their own best interests. Uh, Impact says again, I never got that. Let's get the guy who has no experience because he has no experience. I'm sure that would be great. Um, so, but yeah, I, I completely agree. But I, I think um, 
coming you know coming back to your point there there are there have been times in the past when we've seen crazy laws or crazy uh, mandates from the government they put in place there was one um, not too long ago where it was made illegal to give food to homeless people and you know part of our group that that's the majority of what we do on a week-to-week basis is feed the homeless people and if we don't do it they starve you know there's people dying in the streets and we uh, you know, we, we tried politically to fight that act um, didn't get too far with it and unfortunately in the end we just had to say you know what we're just going to do it if it puts us at legal risk if we're going to get arrested for, for feeding the homeless, then so be it. And uh, and some people did. You know, there was a, a guy in Florida who was given a fairly serious jail sentence for, for just for doing the right thing. But at the end of the day, he did do the right thing. And, and you know, in my opinion, that, that's what counts. And again, I'm not condoning people getting thrown in jail or becoming vigilantes or whatever, but I, I do think at some point it comes down to right or wrong, and you've got to make your own decision on, on which way that you go. No, no, absolutely. And some, you know, you know, some of these mandates, um, um, you, you know, coming from coming from coming from um, the legislative world, I have to say that people don't go out and try to make laws that from a place of evil, right? Everyone, you know, um, whether or not you agree with the lawmakers' intent. Um, or I'm sorry, uh, the the lawmakers' impact. The intent was usually there to improve the lives. So I can only I don't know I don't know the um, the, the law behind um, not giving homeless people food. I can only imagine that it was be that um, it had to do with some sort of health code. Um, you know, unfortunately though, these some of these uh, mandates that come about uh, have negative. Have negative impacts, and one of those ways that people can um, can um, stand up to these to this is to 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 go back and try to have some repealed that they that they feel are unfair and um, and have negative effects, right? And um, and again, it goes back to strategy. That's one of the things that that. That we need to look at if we want to go forward here. We need to have a strategy. We can't have all these splintered groups all the, all over the place. We can't have these. We can't have. We can't have people going rogue. It's we've got to. We've got to come together, create a movement, and say, okay, these are some action plans that we can that we all need to do together. Um, because if really if the other side did it we should be able to do it too i want to look at the tea party um a movement that that gave rise to a lot of the stuff that we see here that started in someone's living room and people came together and said okay we we have we have a common platform and how are we going to make this happen so really if we want to if we want to if we want to fight back we've got to do the same thing that's it absolutely absolutely and um, Molly, I'm just interested, you know, you being a university student, um, obviously with a, a group of um, contemporaries on the younger side of things, is there, uh, is there anything happening that's uh, revolutionary within, within your, your peers at university at the moment? Or is this, uh, are people still in shock and, and desperately trying to find anywhere to go? Well, I obviously, I go to the University of Vermont, so it's a pretty liberal school. We had a Love Trump's Hate rally today. Um, on my way to classes, I was actually a little bit late for my class because there were so many people just blocking the road, not the road, but the, the way to class, and I, I wasn't too upset about it. Um, a lot of people my age, I feel the vocal people my age are very liberal. The people who are my age and speaking out about how upset they are are not the majority. There are also so many people that are Scared to say I actually support Trump because they know that their liberal friends will shut them down, and I'm one of the liberal friends that will shut them down. But I know it seems like um, almost all of Trump supporters are old, and a lot of people are saying, "Don't worry, the older generation who's voting for these racist ideals are dying out." But there are definitely people out there who are my age and who support Trump, and they support what he says. They might not support the racism, and they might they might actually support the racism. But the the larger part of my generation that's vocal seems to be more liberal. Right. 
And I, I hate to say this, but we are 30 seconds before the end of the show. That hour has flown by. So I'm going to have to just say, you know, we're still a democracy. We still have a voice. And, and watch this space. We're going to be disseminating a lot of information over the next week before the next show. So I've, before we run out of the last 15 seconds, I've got to thank Lisa, Molly, and, and Crystal for dialing in and sharing their thoughts. Everyone in the chat room, I'm sorry we didn't get to every single one of you and, and have you dial in, but really appreciate your input here. And we will be back, uh, same bat time, same bat channel next week. And uh, really uh, look forward to talking with you more then. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.